This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Um, and talk about this very simple thing, meaning a life of obedience. Um, what, what does it mean and what does it mean to you and what does it mean to, our, to myself and, and how are we gonna, are we gonna get a bit practical at the end? Um, and just ask like, what, what is God calling you to do right now? Because it may be something very natural. It may be something very spiritual. It may be uh, standing on the mountain and blowing the shofar or it may be just like, hey, look after those kids and grow their, you know, train them up in the way that they should go. That's also a, a step of obedience. Um, something, you know, learning and teaching them obedience. So we're going to talk about some, some of those things. And um, I think in the Afrikaans service, um, we are getting, I think there's seven people being baptized this morning in the Afrikaans service. So we don't know how we're going to fit all of them in. But it, it's, it's so amazing when people are obedient to, to God's word and their call. And most of those people are over 50 years of age, so we're very excited, you know, of the first group of Afrikaans people getting baptized. Let's give the Lord a round of applause. And um, so like I said, we're moving the Afrikaans service over here because there isn't space there anymore um, after the, the school holidays. Um, so, but obedience is, is actually so amazing, and it's not burdensome, but uh, I spoke in the Afrikaans service last week, and told the story of a friends that we have in Pakistan, and maybe you've heard, heard the story, but there were four of them when they were young men, and they asked God, Lord, are we really called to Pakistan? Now, Pakistan has got two big cities that is basically in civil war. The one is Lahore, and the other one is Karachi, and they, they were ministering in Karachi specifically. And so um, they were doing Christian events and outreaches and planning that, and the four of them were good buddies. And so they were praying and saying, God, this is like a scary place. This is like war zone. Um, give us a sign that we should like be here and that we should like minister in, in Pakistan. And so one evening they were organizing something, some other out, big outreach event. They were driving home after this event at 11 p.m. And as they were driving, a big like truck came and stopped right in front of them, like a pickup, a bucky, you know, like a, you know, goof like this, and another one stopped at the back, so that they were right at the type of a stop street, they realized they were crammed in, but this wasn't like Pakistan traffic, this was people coming to kill them, because the next moment, about seven or eight guys with machine guns jumped out of this truck thing at the front, and they were standing in front of the car. And he said he was sitting in the car. Now, the four of them are sitting in the car, and they realize they can't run. They can't go anywhere. This is it. And he closed his eyes, and he said, the next moment, the guys started opening fire. And they were like, do-do-do-do-do-do-do. And he says, and he, and he felt like the, the sort of the windscreen go first, and then the shrapnel from all this stuff, and the, the whole area in front. He just felt it going against his body. And the next moment, he was just sitting there, and he was thinking like, this is heaven. But then he could, I'm, I'm in heaven now. And so, he's, so he smelled and he thought like, nobody, but he's still hearing all these noises and he's going, and he thought like, maybe this is an outer body experience because the machine guns were going, going, going. And, and at the end, he just heard the guys like jump into this bucket again and drove off. 
And then he opened his eyes and he thought like, this is weird because I must be in heaven now, but I'm sitting here right now. And then he, then he looked and the whole car was basically shredded apart. Even the gear lever between him and his friend was gone. But the four of them, nothing happened to them. Not one bullet, not one. And then he said, thank you, Lord. That's our sign that we are called to Pakistan. <laughs> you know, I, was, I was thinking like, Lord, I don't want signs like that. You know? <laughs> just speak to me. If it's audibly, it's fine. Others just, but not like that, Lord. <laughs> okay, but, so some people get like a call in a different way. And that's why they ministered there. And they just went for it. But, but you know, each one of us, we've been called to follow Jesus. And it never stops. I, I think, you know, one of the sad things of, of meeting older Christians sometimes, people that's been around the block for 10 or 15 or 20 years, we fall into comfort zones. And we think, like, well, you know what, giving, I'm, I'm giving, I'm, I'm doing my best, and I'm a good Christian. But Jesus said there's no good person. He redefined good. <laughs> Because God measures our love in, in obedience and in faith. That's what he's going to say. He's not going to say one day, oh, you know, my good person. He's going to say, my good and faithful servant. And so, so we, we left off or we ended off a couple of weeks ago. And I want to read this scripture in Romans 6 verse 16. It says, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey? whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. And it's, it's sort of a bit of a condemning scripture when you start and you say like, oh, slaves, you know, I don't want to be a slave. I want to be a son, you know. And obviously we know that our obedience flows out of sonship. Not, we, we're not obedient to become a son. Our obedience flows out of our identity as being children of God. And that brings such a freedom because we want to please Him. <laughs> and when you... Um, I've told the story many times when Louise and I just started dating. I, I, I thought, like, I want to impress her. So I tried to bake a cake, but it didn't work. Okay, so I, the problem was I opened the oven, and then the, before, as the cake was still baking, and then half of the cake just went flat, like, poof, like this. You know, it was a 45 degrees angle. So I just tripled the icing sugar, and I built this thing. I always wanted to be an engineer. Built it that like it's flat. So I said, I'll take half of the cake, you take the other half. You know, I took the icing part and gave the rest to her. But it's, it's, it's just amazing. You want to impress somebody or you want to, if you're in love with somebody, your immediate reaction or response is, I want to please that person. Not because I'm thinking like, you know, oh, what? You know, have I ticked all the boxes so that I can be in love with her? When you're in love with somebody, what happens is like, it's just like your natural response. You sit there until 12 o'clock in the evening and you're like, blah, 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 blah. you know, you don't even hear what, what the person actually says. But just the voice is so amazing. Just being around that person is like, you know, and if you ask that person, what did you talk about till 2 a.m.? No, no, we, 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 I, I can't remember. It's like, what? No, I'm in love. <laughs> yeah. Oh. You know, I, I, I even made tea. We made tea, we drank the tea, and then I only realized, we, we realized, later we realized that the, we never boiled the water. But it was the best tea ever, you know. <laughs> That's what sometimes happens when you're in love. It's just like, I don't know what happens to us, especially as men. You know, it, I, I don't know. You know, we just like, hey, the stuff doesn't work out, you know. But in Romans, the writer says to us, 
Do you not know that to whom you present yourself? We can almost miss the whole scripture, but it starts every day you present yourself to somebody, to some things, even to this world. And he says, when you present yourselves slaves to obey, he says, he says if, you, if you're going to present yourself to sin, and if you're going to come under sin, you actually become, uh, that thing becomes your master. Wherever you obey, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. <laughs> so every day you present yourself either to God or to this world or to sin. And, and, and you live every day in a constant place of obeying something. Now, uh, let me tell you, the demands of this life, the, the media, everybody is trying to put an identity on you. Today, there's even big politics. It's called identity. You know, you can, you can rob somebody's identity or they call it identity politics. And, and let me just say, I'm, I'm not going to be controversial because I don't know all the background, but all I want to say is go and watch Serena Williams respond to a ref last week. And then you're going to see something of the spirit of the world. Because it's not about right or wrong, it's about how you feel and my rights. So if I drive, and that's all I'm going to say about that, some of you know what I'm talking about, some of you don't know what I'm talking about, but the world has gone crazy. Because if I drive over the stop street in Stellenbosch, the traffic cop comes out and says, you did not stop at that stop street. And he gives me a fine. I can't say to him, I didn't feel like stopping. And do you know what? You don't find the other people. There's lots of people that drive over the stop street every day. I've got a right not to stop here. The traffic man is going to say to me, sorry guy, you drove over the stop street. So, one of the most powerful sportsmen in the world would come against any rule of authority and say, I've got a right. You are wrong. Oh. But that's where the world is at. It's called entitlement. It's called all of that. But it's very nasty. It's a lawless spirit that's beginning to, to come into the West. And that's why we have to talk about things like obedience often. That's why parents, one of the greatest things and the privileges you have is to train your child in obedience. But what's happening is like, we call it helicopter parenting, the, the kids become the center of the family. The kids become, we, we're going to do everything to, to keep the kids happy. And sometimes it's out of fear. Sometimes, I, I don't know. But, but guys, we, we're not training our kids. And I'm, I'm the first culprit. I'm not perfect in any way. <laughs> but if obedience is one of your highest values or responses to the love of God, do you know what then? The world is waiting for that. And we're going we're gonna to look at that. That's why Jesus, when he comes to the disciples, when he walks into the first call and the highest call, every time he says, come, follow me, and I will make you. <laughs> he didn't say, hey, come, I will make you. He says, come, follow me. Because in the following, that's where we discover who God is. It's in that place of obedience. It's in that place of knowing who he is. And, and, and just staying close to Christ. <laughs> you have the most and the greatest adventure ever. 
But we want to sort of first sometimes sit and say, okay, Lord, first make me this perfect Christian. And when I'm perfect, then, you know, or that pastor up there or that small group leader, uh, they're very spiritual. So, but you know, many times when we're obedient, we're not going to know. God is not going to show us the outcome. He's going to just say, hey, take that step. Maybe it's in prayer. Maybe we're going to talk about what is God calling you? Because you must know as an individual, God is going to say certain things to you. As a family, God is going to say certain things to you as a family. And then to us as a church, God is going to say some stuff to us as a church. And then to the wider body of Christ in South Africa or Stellenbosch, he's going to say some things to us. And so there's different seasons of obedience that you and I must walk in. Now listen to this in Isaiah, how God gives us the freedom to choose. That's amazing about God. God doesn't force anything upon anybody. Isaiah 1 verse 18, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. <laughs> you see, all the other religions and what the world wants to, to tell us is change stuff on the outside. But obedience is a response of the heart. It's not, it's not the rules. It's not the, oh, I must be obedient because I must do all these right things because I must, you know, otherwise I'm going to miss the will of God. <laughs> now, obedience is a response out of the heart. It's an, it's, it starts with an attitude of, I'm in love with God and I want to please Him. <laughs> Because I know even what he asks of me is the best for me and my family. Where the world is going this way, God says, I'm going to show you the right way. Not because I'm a spoil sport, not because I want, want to just like be this old man with a stick up there, but because I want you to be free. I want you to walk in your full identity. But the more you are obedient, the more God can use you in his authority. Somebody asked me the other day, and that's, this is my personal sort of response. He says, how do I grow in authority? I says, be obedient. Because God can only take you as far as your last step of obedience. Oh, there goes everything from the stage, you know. So, so obedience means like, wow, if, if God can trust me with a little bit more, thanks Jason, then what begins to happen is going to give me more. But I think there's this, this idea in, in, the, in the church that, hey, God is just going to one day trust me with everything. <laughs> no, he doesn't say that, hey? God says he's not going to just trust us with everything. He's going to reveal his mysteries as we seek him. He says, if you seek me, you will find. If you knock, I will open. It's very quiet in here. Is, is there anybody out there? Just wave at me if you're still alive. You know, it's going to be very quiet. Let me tell you a story. One day we were still in Stellenbosch High School and I was preaching. It was one of those days where, where all the leaders of the church, and I, I was still working. So I, was, I didn't sleep the whole night because it was just one of those moments where you think like, oh my God, all the main pastors, everybody's sitting here and they're eva- going to evaluate me, you know. And so I'm sitting there. And so in the middle of the service, the Lord says to me, and he gives me sort of a word of knowledge of, of a young guy that, that, is struggling with stuff and very specific stuff. And I'm not going to mention all that stuff. So I, so I just like thought, okay, cool. Let me just share it. So, so I, sh- I shared it. And, um, and there was no response. I said, can you come to the front, please? It was actually nice. Okay, but so, so, so there was no response. 
And, um, and then I felt like I have to wait a little bit. And so I waited a little bit and there was just no response. And I thought like, okay, Lord, this is, this is time for the rapture. This is time to beam me up, take me away, you know, let the end of the world come. Because this is really embarrassing. I'm standing there and nobody's responding. So I thought like, okay, yeah, sometimes people respond straight after the service because they're rich shy to come to the front. So let's not put too much pressure on them. But I knew it was a word from God. And so what happened afterwards, nobody responded. So I went home. I felt depressed for three days. I thought, oh, I missed the Lord completely. Have you ever done something like that? Then you think like, oh, you know, I don't know what's going on. But I stepped out in faith and there was just no results, you know. And then um, amazingly, six months later, one day I got a phone call from a guy in England. And he, he, he studied here. And he went to work, and then he backslid completely, like completely, into back into the world, did so many bad stuff. And then um, this was what he said to me when he phoned me. He said, do you know what? Last night I woke up in the middle of the night, and a voice, an audible voice spoke to me, said to me, and this is, this is so funny. He said, the voice said to me, go on the internet and go and download that sermon and start listening at 32 minutes and 10 seconds. So he went, he did that. And that was where that word of knowledge was. And it was exactly for him. And he said he repented through the whole night. And he just wanted to phone me the next day and say, thank you for my obedience. And that was six months later. And I thought like, ah! <laughs> but I was actually so excited, you know. But I was just looking to the natural because I think like, no results, I failed. Went through a whole like, oh, I'm never going to, Lord, I really miss. And even some of the other Christians came and said, mm, you know, you better check, you know, you better, better check these words of knowledge that you have, you know. You better, you know, don't be so flippant with the things of God, you know. And the deep spiritual people, some of them came and just like, and I thought, okay, I'm going to go through suffering now, you know. But, um, but it's so amazing when, when you're just obedient. I, I think sometimes even if you're obedient and you're wrong, God sometimes just loves that. And he says, okay, angels just work over time and let's sort this thing out, you know. <laughs> because at least they're moving, you know. At least he's not, well, the rest of the Christians just become critical. and They always know what's wrong. That's what I love about somebody like from Angus, you know. He just like goes for it, you know. And then you must look at the critical spirit that stands up against because that's the Antichrist spirit. The Antichrist spirit is not called the anti-Jesus spirit. It's people that are anointed of God. Because that's what Christ means. People that are full and full of the Holy Spirit that are following God. They're obedient. They're living by faith. They're not comfortable consumer Christians. And the Antichrist spirit will come against that when the moment when you and I step out. And that's why God says, hey, you're going you're gonna to eat of the good of the land. I've promised you so much. I've, I've forgiven your sins. It's really, you know, you, you, your sins were like scarlet, but they're white as snow. But he says, come, let's reason together. Let's, let's sit around the table. And, and I, I want this because this is a, a way of living, a way of pleasing God. Listen to this in John 14, verse 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. So this greater works, this greater stuff that is happening is in the context of, if you love me, I measure my love language is obedience. (laughs) 
is an outflow of even when I don't understand. I said there, your, when you fix your identity, is fixed and we live by obedience, then God increases the authority over your life. Because he can trust you with more things. <laughs> it doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you even know exactly what's going on. I've, I realized sometimes there was, there was one day, and I have to tell you this story because some people don't believe that demons exist anymore. And I, I was one of them. In my first year, then one of my friends phoned and he says, come, there, we've got some trouble here. Bring your Bible. Now, when one of your friends phone you at 12 o'clock at night, then you realize like, oh, you know. So I rushed over. I was in Indrach Kursus. I rushed over spiritual, and then I heard these funny sounds coming out of the house, you know, and I was thinking like, oh, you know, this doesn't sound so nice, you know, <laughs> so eventually I came, when I came into the room, my friend was standing on the bed, on the, you know, side of the bed like this, and he was standing in the corner, now I'm walking in there, and the next moment there was a guy, like a snake, going underneath the bed, you know, and he was manifesting, and it took me two seconds, and I was also on the side of the bed. You know? <laughs> and I was standing, and all I knew is the name of Jesus. That's all I knew. And three hours later, this guy was delivered. And I said, just said, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I just knew Jesus. And every scripture I knew, I quoted that evening. Yeah? But did Jesus not say, in my name, this will happen. Those who believe, they will cast out demons. But the scary part is, if I'm really, if I can go around, then... And I was like, when last did you pray and somebody got delivered? I'm not talking about spooky, airy-fairy. People like Estelle pray for people every week and they get free. And so there's some counselors, some people that are, are really ministering. But it's part of the ministry of every believer. It's not just for some. He says, these signs will follow those who believe. Speak with other tongues. They raise the dead. Woo! Because believing is an active word. Following God is an act of words. So Jesus said, you're going to do greater things than me. You know, no, no, but I just want to be a good Christian. You know, you don't know how busy I am and how my life is so, you know, I'm so in, entangled and all of that stuff. Then great, if you are that businessman, but, but then minister. That's your ministry field. Be obedient where you are. Live it out. Don't, you know, because the devil wants Christians now in our nation to hide, to be afraid. And when the Christians become silent, he's got the nation. When the Christians stop praying in the inner rooms, <laughs> when we start walking in authority, when we, when we stop walking in obedience, then what begins to happen, he just moves slowly, by, little by little. And then fear comes into the nation. And now is the time for us not to be silent. I mean, <laughs> now is the time for us to speak up, to be bold, because you'll see the greatest miracles will start to happen. No, 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 if only I have the faith like Angus has. Woo, <laughs> you know. Now God has given each one a measure of faith. So I said, our love for God is not defined by feelings, words, emotions, intentions, great songs that we sing, but by our motives, actions, and obedience to Christ. That's how God defines our love towards Him. He says, if you love me, do my commandments. And maybe it's small stuff, and I really want to encourage you. I'm not talking about standing in front of stages and millions of people. It's what are those small things that God is challenging us with that's going to cause you sometimes to get out of your comfort zone. <laughs> because a comfortable way of living is not a... It, it's, God hasn't called us to comfort. 
I think I told you this story before, but this lady, when we came to, to Iran, we were in, in a couple of days in, in, the, in, in the capital city of Iran, and, and um, she, their pastor got arrested three weeks before that. And so, as we're sitting there, and, and I'm saying, sure, this is, this is bad, because the other big pastor of, of the underground church, they, they killed him and threw his body outside of the city, and Lots of persecution, but persecution that, that we don't know. And so I'm asking this lady, she's running the church um, while he's now in prison. And I said, but, but this must be tense because, you know, sure. And then she said the following. She said, well, we've actually been praying for him because he's been preaching a watered-down gospel from the West. Um, and the Lord will use this time in prison to just refine him. To, to, to make him really focus again on the, the, the meaning of the gospel because he's been, he's been starting to preach this, this false grace type of thing, she said. And I'm standing there and everything in my mind is, says, lady, don't pray for me. Don't pray for me. I want to go back home. I, wanna, you know. <laughs> I went to the toilet. I repented for about 25 minutes to just say, Lord, I'm sorry for compromising here, for being so comfortable. And I'm not saying, hey, invoke a, 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 a persecution mentality. But I, but I think sometimes if we read the Bible, it, I like what, what Johnny said last week. When I read the Bible, it should disturb me. I, I should feel uncomfortable. <laughs> Because the things I read in the Bible and, and the standard and the way the people lived and the measurement of Christ was huge. I say, Lord, change me. <laughs> Lord, I want to follow you. I, I want to please you with everything inside of me. So Christianity is a doing. It comes out of being. But Jesus said, I will do greater works than him. I will do greater works than him. Do you know how many people are raised from the dead in the church, the real church of Jesus Christ? Because he said that's going to happen. It's not going to catch CNN. <laughs> it's not going to be on the forefront of what we should do. Another statement, and I, I, don't know where, I don't know where I got it, but it's not me. It says obedience means to do what is right, even if we do not personally benefit or if we are put to a disadvantage when we obey. That might, this must be John Severe or somebody, I mean John Bevere, you know, somebody that, that wrote that, you know. Because he's like, bah, you know. Obedience doesn't always mean that I am going to reap the benefits or I am going to see the benefits. You know what it talks about faith in Hebrews 11? It says, and they saw the promised land, but then you realize like that Moses was never there. Most people that God gave a call to, they never saw it physically manifest in their lifetime. But see, the modern day gospel says, hey, if you don't see the benefits right now, then don't do it. But the gospel is actually, many times God is going to work in your life, He's going to work in my life, and it's going to affect the generations to come. And they're going to say, yo, Opa Dirk really followed God. When Opa Dirk took out that guitar, the demons fled, you know? <laughs> My opa was a man after God's own heart because he followed God. Hey? How many of you have got opas and omas like that? You're sitting here today because of their obedience, hey, Ulrich? Huh? What an amazing thing. 
They, they set the platform for you and I to, to live. My great-grandfather was an evangelist, and he went from farm to farm. He was a farmer. Every weekend, he went to preach the gospel. He had a sambok. And if you did not repent, he used the sambok. <laughs> <Bah! laughs> you know? So it's a different kind of ministry. <laughs> don't worry, I don't have a sambok here, you know. But <laughs> he made sure people repented. <laughs> you know? But in any case, it worked, so hallelujah. <laughs> So what is a culture of disobedience? We must know that, that in this, this world, in this world of entitlement, the world is putting a different culture on us, and, it's, and it's, a, it's a culture of entitlement. I call it a culture of disobedience. It means I want to know the benefits before I'm going to do anything. I'm not going to respect any leaders. I'm going to talk bad about the president whenever I want to, because I can do whatever I want to, even because... I'm going to serve God whenever it feels comfortable to me. Always first checking the weather, and then if the weather is bad, then we want to see the result of the benefit before we obey. We want 10 reasons why we should obey. What's in it for me? And then man becomes the center of our relationship with God. And that's the difference between knowing Jesus as Savior and Jesus as Lord of your life. Savior is always there because I get the benefits. I'm washed clean. I'm forgiven. And that's great. I know God. That's, that's knowing him as your Savior. But there's a different group of people that says, I want to know Jesus as Lord of my life. And that means sometimes he's going to ask me to do stuff that I don't have the answer to. And he's not going to give me an answer. Because I can't see what he sees. But he's moving. And he's, he's inviting his church to say, come follow me. Even if you don't see the results. <laughs> but in John 14, that's one of the scriptures we read. There are some results. And these are some of the promise that he does give us. And I've just made a little bit of a list. He says, in obedience and in faith, in stepping out of your comfort zone, he says, you will have a counselor. He gives us certain promises that are eternal. He says, you, the Holy Spirit will come and He will live inside of us and with us. Wow, you'll never be alone. You'll never be afraid. <laughs> In the context, that's your homework, is go read John 14. Then He says, when you become obedient, then, then sonship is revealed. So He breaks the orphan spirit over you. He says, you're no longer a slave. In Galatians verse 6 and 7 it says you're no longer a slave but you're a son of God and also an heir of God it's you, you don't always like come to God like oh Lord just give me little bits little bits Lord I'm, I'm, I just I just live I'm a crumb Christian I just live by all the crumbs but there's actually an abundance because the abundance doesn't come from the outside the abundance comes because you have peace with God you know who you are and um, I'm I've actually prepared, because I, I had a lot of time in this sabbatical for all the sermons that I prepared. But So with the students, we're going to do these two trees in the garden. We're going to go back right to the beginning and see why did, why did, what was the result of eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil versus eating the tree of life. There were two trees. And man from the beginning chose the wrong tree. And what did they do? What happened when they chose the wrong tree is the first thing is their perception of God changed. 
they thought they could hide from God. And the second thing is they tried to cover themselves. Cover their nakedness. So what do we still try to do? We try to find identity in the outside. While God says, I'm going to come and live inside of you. But Christianity is from the inside out. It's what happens in your heart. You'll see me. You'll no longer be an orphan. Because I remember being in the DRC a couple of years ago. And, and we were there at an orphanage. And I'll never forget it. How those kids just came running. And they grabbed onto our legs. But they didn't want to let go. And they just were hanging onto our legs for probably an hour, hour and a half. Because they were so affirmation deprived. So love deprived. Because there was nobody looking after the kids. Probably 300 or 400 kids. But it was actually so draining being there because you realize like, whoa, you, your heart breaks. Because it's not just the physical stuff, but it's deep inside a, a desire for love. A desire for acceptance. A desire for belonging. And you know, that's where the world is. They're maybe not in an orphanage, but the world is running around crazy. Doing crazy stuff just to say, who am I? And is there somebody that would love me? That's why the church, that's why we're here. If you didn't know, we're not here for a comfortable existence. We, we're here to go and show people the love of Christ. <laughs> we, we're here to tell them, hey, hey, Jesus actually died for you. <laughs> so that you don't need to do that because you, you've become a slave to that sin. You've come to present yourself to that sin because you think that's the way and how you're going to be defined. But scripture says, no, there's only one way. It's through Christ. Amen? This is... We will see Christ. We'll be loved by the Father and by Christ. And I love this. He says, God will make his home with us. This is the promise of the Holy Spirit. More than that, he says, the Holy Spirit will come and teach you all things. He says, you don't even need a teacher. Isn't, is, what a promise. <laughs> but there's not one promise of physical things. Because God says primarily, that's not, where you're going to find your belonging and your affirmation and your acceptance. But I'm going to give you certain promises. I'm going to give you certain things. And God says, yes, I will take care of you. But he says, there's something more. The world is going for the outside, but, but the promises he gives us, you'll be loved by the Father. God will make his home with you. Wow. So I encourage you, if you go, if you're a family, before you enter that home, say, thank you, Lord, this is your home. Thank you, Lord. This is, this is the place of your dwelling. God doesn't like visiting. And he doesn't like house bazook. Okay? House visits. God is not into house visits. God wants to make his dwelling place first inside of you and then in your home. So that when people walk in, they'll say like, wow, something is different here. I remember I worked, when I worked as a, Accountant later as a fi financial manager in Somerset West, I had like this small little office on the second floor, and there was like a canteen area. But every morning before I went into work, I would go in, close the door, pray in the spirit, and declare, Lord, this is your place. I want you not to come and visit me, yeah? That I forget about you the whole day because I get so busy. I want you to be here. I want your tangible presence to be here. And then I'll take oil and I'll anoint the place. And I say, Lord, this office is going to be different than any other office. Because I'm here with you. And I remember there was this, this, this ladies that would always eat like slop chips, you know. 
in the in lunch and the whole place would because they were just opposite the place in Somerset West there was this this fish and chip shop and they used the oil of last week the next three weeks okay because you could smell that oil yeah and um and then they will take their fish and the chips and they won't go and sit in the open area all of them would come and sit in my office over lunch so I had to like conquer the spirit of, of fish and chips the whole afternoon, yeah? And then they'll sit crammed into the office and they'll chat there and I will many times even not even be there. But then this lady would always say, I don't know why. And she didn't have two front teeth. I don't know why, yeah? But I want to just tell you, this is so nice here, yeah? <laughs> this is very nice here in your office. It's so peaceful, she said, you know? And I just thought like, wow, Lord, it physically manifests that you are here. And I don't need to preach a sermon. Because I've learned that God wants to dwell with me. And do you know what? The world is attracted to the presence of God. The world wants the peace of God because there's so much fear. There's so much trouble out there. And God says, hey, the Holy Spirit will come. And He will teach you all things. Listen to this in 1 John 5, verse 3 to 5. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not commandments are not burdensome. I always thought like, oh, you know, oh, God is going to call me to stuff that is so heavy going, you know, because this pastor, this short little man in front, he just talks about Pakistan and Iran. And what if God would tell me to go to those places? Oh, you know, it's going to... Maybe God hasn't called you there. Maybe He has. <laughs> If he has called you, then then he's going to give you faith and he's going to make provision for you. But maybe he's just called you to be there, that engineer, where there's just a lot of other guys swearing. (laughs) And you don't swear. Hopefully not. Maybe just in your head and then you repent later. I mean, (laughs) but just the way that you live is different because you're saying, God, I want to be obedient to you. But he says, my commandments is not burdensome. I'm not putting stuff on you because I want to check you out. For whatever is born of God overcomes this world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? (laughs) The good news is, God takes pleasure when you and I walk by faith and we overcome. Everybody that's a parent here, just, you maybe had your kids, especially when they were small, it is amazing. You, you'll see that thing. When your little kid becomes one, between one and two, and that kid stands up and starts to walk for the first time, it is like it is the first person that has ever walked on the face of the earth. When that kid started walking, you said, one small step for mankind, one giant leap, you know, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind, you know, that's what they said on the moon, the first step on the moon, you know, but for you as a parent, that was it, and then you don't realize that your whole life is ruined after that, because now you have to follow that little thing all over the place, you know, (laughs) when that little thing crawled, and it was like, and there it goes, you know, kids follow the great commandment, go into all the world, and Mess the house and mess the yard and, <laughs> yeah, they're good disciples from a young age. It was amazing. One of one of our kids when when it was small, the front door. I don't know why we forgot the front door, but parents do that stuff sometimes. Forgot the front door open, and then we realized the kid is gone. 
and I ran outside, looked to the left, looked to the right, because that's what your parents always told you when there's cars. And then I saw, right at the end of the road, he's decided he's going to go for a walk. <laughs> Discover. Go into all the world. Yeah? But it's, it's just amazing when that kid begins to discover certain things. It gives you like, something happens inside of you as a parent and you think like, whoa, you know? If you haven't got kids, that, you know, then you think like, oh, these people just irritate me because they put everything on Facebook, you know? And Instagram, the first, you know, food they eat, the first this they do, the first that. And you think like, hey, parents, just get over it, you know? <laughs> There's a world out there. But for that parent, it means so much when that kid has learned a skill or an art or, you know, your kid plays the maybe the fourth team hockey and, you know, and, and then you look at those parents around that field and you think like, is this like the Springboks playing or, you know, is this like, you know, that they play little rugby running like everybody runs in the same direction and, you know, it's just, it's just no, it's not, not good skills at all. But look at those parents. Look at them. Okay, some of them, it's not like really biblical because they try to live their lives through their kids. But, but some of them stand there and it's like, this is it. This is an international match. The poor refs, you know, at those primary little kid stuff. You know? But there's, there's something so beautiful about that. But you know, God feels the same when you and I conquest, when we conquer. He says, whoever is born of God has overcome this world. When you overcome that sin, when you break that habit, when you say no to that stuff and you walk on and God says, yes. And now my grace is going to become more and more in their life. Because that's really what grace is about. It's about God's enablement to do His will. Grace isn't a ticket for sinning, but grace is that extra petrol in the reserve tank that says, go for it. When you think you're at the end of yourself, then God's grace. My grace is made perfect in your weakness. Not in your sin, in your weakness. My grace is going to kick in. But see, the, the devil wants us to be defeated, discouraged, and then we think like, oh, South Africa, South Africa, we, we're in a mess, we're in a recession, we're in everything that we shouldn't be in. But then Christians should see, what is God doing? That's why every morning I wake up and say, God, what are you doing? And, and your children are rising up because the whole earth is full of your glory. That's what the angels sing, and I want to see that. <laughs> Thank you. So do we obey out of love or legalism? But it says, that scripture says, we will overcome the world. We will overcome sin. And in the last scripture, we all know that in Matthew 28, it says, go into all the world. Make disciples. Baptize them. And then verse 20, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always. That same thing about the Holy Spirit of obedience. He says, when you teach them, and I, and I, and I have to be honest, you know, this isn't where teaching really happens. Teaching happens in life. This is where we get encouraged and we encourage each other and we listen to the Word of God. But, but when we disciple people and we have a lifestyle of disciple, it means you take people with you. And he says, all you need to do is check how I'm living. Teach them to observe. What is he doing? What is she doing? How are they living? Oh, I want to be like that. So like those of you who were here last Sunday, um, Johnny and Tani Deleuze, they're 80 years old, married for 46 years. 
the, the sermon is more impactful, not because of anything that he said, but because of who they are. And I think like, wow, Lord, they gave up their life, went to Russia, planted churches in the Ukraine, happily married, and they've just moved to Amarnas, and now it's their next mandate. It's the next season of their life. And they are so super excited. When you ask them, when you wake them up in the middle of the night, they say, yes, yes. God has just released us into our next season. 80 years. And I say, I want to be like that. And he spoke about not neglecting such a great salvation. Don't forget what God has done in your life. But see, we become, oh, one day maybe I'm going to make it to heaven. Just resist all the sin. Just, just, monkey see, monkey don't see. Oh, oh, oh. The world is falling apart. But then there's another group of people that are saying, whoever has been born of God has overcome this world. We've overcome sin. We can walk in the fullness of God. And His promises stand that I have the Holy Spirit with me. It doesn't matter if I'm sitting in a prison in Iran. It doesn't matter if I'm sitting in an engineering faculty or somewhere in a place where everything, everybody else is so worldly and just want to do it. But I have the Holy Spirit right there with me. And He's going to teach me in that place where I am going to show me how I should respond to situations. And sometimes I'm going to get it terribly wrong. Sometimes I'm going to get it terribly right. And then God says, go for it. You're my child. Isn't it amazing that God the Father said to Jesus, long before he started ministry, I love you, I'm pleased with you. But, but he didn't do anything. He made furniture for 30 years. No building, no great ministry, no name, no like, hey, buy my DVD for free and if you give me another $50, then you get a healing for free as well, you know. Ooh, name ministry all over the place. You know, it's just like crazy even what what has happened to the church because the church looks just like the world. But God is calling people out, saying, come, follow me. I want you to take a piece of paper if you have your cell phone. Just where you are. Don't show anybody. Don't show the people next to you. And I want you to write down three things personally that you can remember. Maybe it's very very small. Maybe it is like tend the garden because it's good for you to just get out a little bit from away from the television, you know, sitting in front of that, you know, because one out of ten times maybe the Springboks is going to win, but hey, then you feel good for a day. But three things that God has told you to be obedient to in the last six months or last three months probably, but last six months, maybe I don't know what season you're at because it's going to be different for every person sitting here. Just, just three small things. If, if, you don't, if you only have one, that's fine, but go and think. What, what are three things? Maybe it was just going to phone somebody. Maybe it's just blessing somebody. Maybe it's starting to pray for that family member. Maybe you've grown discouraged. But, but three small things God has called you 
personally to be obedient to. And that may be so many different things. And remember, it should not be burdensome. <laughs> it's not going to be like, oh, you know. Maybe it's something small, like, hey, just pray for 10 minutes before you go to work. God doesn't ask us big stuff. Cool. How many are still busy? Three small things. Maybe just looking after your kids. <laughs> you think, like, I'm just surviving in this season. Don't ask me to do anything else. Hey, it's a call of God. It's beautiful. Because with that obedience comes faith that pleases God. It's like I am stepping out. Out of my comfort zone. The next thing I want you to write one thing in the church. For the church here. As a member of the church. If you're visiting us then maybe you belong to another church. Then do it. What is God calling you to be part of that fellowship that Estelle spoke about? That Sharing together, coming together. What, what faith or obedience should you do for somebody else? Maybe it's in your small group. Maybe it's for church here. Yeah, maybe you need to serve somewhere. Maybe you see there's a gap there, and I, I need to go and do that because I've got a gift that I must bring, and and I've neglected that gift maybe. Um, but but I want to do ministry. I want to be part of that lifestyle of giving, of of changing lives. Or maybe I must just invite some people to, to my house on a Friday. Don't do anything, just, you know, give the students food and see how they get blessed and their lives will change. <laughs> Maybe that's what God calls you. You don't need to be super spiritual. But in the family, in the fellowship, one thing, just one thing that you should be obedient to. Maybe you should give, maybe of your time, maybe of your prayer life, maybe. But because we also are called to community, to serve, to be faithful servants, not just to be consumers. And then the last thing, one thing you should pray for for the nation in this time. One thing of obedience that you think, if you start praying into that area of this nation, that's something God has maybe put on your life. For some people it would be, hey, I need to pray for the orphans. For some people, hey, I need to pray for the government. Hey, I need to pray for this violence or whatever. One thing you should pray for to be obedient to and put out your faith that that thing will start to change in our nation. Three personal things. One thing in the church. One thing for the nation. And I want to end my sermon with the following. Just do it. Just do it, okay? This is not an advertisement for a shoe brand. This is the call of God. Just follow me. And I will make you. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to show you. 
I actually spoke to a, a guy who ran a Bible school for, me, for many years, but a full-time Bible school. And I'm for theological training. I'm for all of that. And he said the worst thing that happened over all of these years is after the first year of just having a bunch of students in a class, he said after one year, he lost him. His words was actually the following. They became invaluable. They they were not usable for the kingdom. They lost him for the kingdom. And I thought that's like a quite a harsh thing, but obviously this guy has got that experience. He says, because three years of just sitting in a class and doing a lot of theological study, but not becoming doers of the word will deceive you. Isn't that what scripture says? If you're a hearer of the word, but not a doer of the word. So my prayer for us as a church and for you as a family, that when you walk out that door, you'll not just think like, oh, that was a nice sermon. The worship was sort of, oh, that was cool. That was nice. Wow, I feel good about myself. But that you'll take time out today and you'll you'll say, Lord, I want to become an obedient follower of Christ. Because what did you say to me? It may be different than what you said to Yuan, than what you said to Ruday, or what you said to Chris, or to the other Yuan there. It's actually a lot of Yuans in that row. You know, <laughs> because all the Yuans went like this. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like, oh, cool. But so, um, because if I walk out there, then, then we just rush into this life. We just go on. And then you say like, oh, that was nice. Or, uh, that wasn't so good. I didn't like, I couldn't hear the guy. He's, 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 accent wasn't so lacquer, you know, he's like, he's a bit average, or he didn't preach enough, but the Holy Spirit will speak to each one of us, and then actually write it down, and then be accountable on that, see, we're very, so many times we're accountable on the stuff that we do wrong, oh, don't watch the pornography, oh, don't do that, oh, don't do that, but we, accountability is all about saying, what are you obedient to, Chris, what did God tell you, and how can I help you? to do God's will in your life. And how can I pray for you and I back you and I cheer you on and I say, yes, there's enough grace for you to do what God has called you to do. But that's real accountability. Most of the church's accountability is just to keep us out of sin. But you know what sin means? Sin means to miss the mark, to miss the bullseye, to miss God's will or purpose for your life because you replace it with something else. You become a slave to that thing instead of a slave to righteousness. Remember that first scripture? So will you stand with me this morning? Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.